you were an enemy of God. But, but by the blood of Christ, you've become a friend of God. What happened in that transfer? What, what, what cha- something had to change, right? Like if your enemy is going to become your friend, something has to change, right? How you see that person has to change. Trust has to change. Attitude has to change. Come on, somebody. It has to change. Some things have to change for me to go from enemy to friend, and we need to know what needs to change. So what needs to change? Your thinking needs to change. We need a fresh revelation of God's word that says, I have already been made right. He made up his mind about me when I was at my lowest. And I'm not there anymore because I've been born again. Come on, somebody. Like, I'm not at my lowest. The enemy's trying to convince you that you're still there and you're not. You're not there anymore. You've been born again. So something has to change. God must have changed his mind and his attitude towards me. Because it says that I was his enemy. Now I have to change my mind towards him. He's not standing there with a six-foot stick waiting on you to make the next mess up so he can crack you across the back of the head. He's already changed his mind about you. His attitude has changed about you. He demonstrated his love for you when you were at the bottom. He sent his only son for you. He gave you the greatest gift he could give when you were at the lowest. But yet if we're not careful, we'll let the enemy convince us that he's still ready to crack me across the head. So we have to change our mind about him and our attitude towards him. You see, there's a difference between an enemy and a friend. An enemy is someone who is, who is hostile towards you. An enemy is someone who feels hatred towards you. An enemy is someone who opposes the interests that you have. An enemy is someone who intends to injure you or fights against you. Are you getting this? That's, that's the attitude of an enemy. He's fighting against you. He's opposing your, your intention. He's imposing your interests. He's, he's coming against. He's fighting against you. He's not for you. He's against you. That's an enemy. <laughs> so why do we have such a hard time doing what God says to do? Why do we have such a hard time walking in his will and not our own? Why are we still trying to fight against God like an enemy would, even though we've been brought into friendship? So a friend, who's a, what's a friend? A friend is someone who enjoys your company. <laughs> a friend likes you. A friend feels affection towards you in a healthy way. <laughs> a friend is a person who supports you, provides assistance, and backs you up when it's right. You see the difference? One is in opposition of you. The other one is for you and with you. Big difference. So we were against God. We were fighting against God. We were fighting against the things of God. But now we've been brought into friendship. Now we should be going with God. Why? Because we're friends now. 
Friends roll together. Friends do things together. We like the same things. Come on, somebody. Rick Warren said this. He said, the key to friendship with God is not changing what you do, but changing your attitude towards what you do. You got to change your attitude towards what you do. Verse 11 tells us, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You know God's not like your car. He never loses his new car smell. He doesn't wear out. He doesn't break. You get brought into a relationship, watch this, that keeps getting new. It continues to be fresh. If your relationship with God is stale, it's not because God changed. It's because you changed. Come on. So what needs to change now? Well, you just need to change again. <laughs> you just need to surrender. You need to admit it. And you need to press in. That's what you need to do. You just need to accept it. That he's still God. The relationship is still fresh and new. And the more I walk with him and the closer I get to him, watch this, the better he gets. That, my friends, is the rich life that Jesus promises to us. That's what people like Elon Musk don't have. They can have some jingle jangle in the bank, but they have no relationship with the creator. So I'm not impressed. I'm impressed rather by a single mom who's barely making it, but she has a deep relationship with the creator. I'm going, I'm impressed by that because you must have pressed through some things to get into that relationship. You must have pushed it. You must know where you stand with God, in other words, to be who you are and still be in a relationship with God. All right, so number one, keep your perspective clear. Number two, Remember who chose who. <laughs> this one's not on the screen, but you can write this one down. John 15, 16. Jesus said these words. You didn't choose me. I chose you. <laughs> you can't take credit for what I've done. You weren't looking for me. Nobody woke up one morning and said, you know what, I'm going to go find God today. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to find God. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. What happens? He comes and finds us. He chose me. I didn't choose him. He came after me. I didn't go after him. Watch how Romans 8.30 says it. It says this, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So watch this process because that was just a process right there. Did you catch the process? Watch this. It says, he, we were chosen. In other words, he picked you. Yeah, they might not have picked you on the, on the playground, but Jesus picked you. You've been chosen. Then once you're chosen, then it says you're called. This is a really cool process. This is when you're called. This is when the Holy Spirit comes in and does his undercover work. 
He starts to work in your life behind the scenes, and he's, he's leading you to Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's, you're being called the Holy Spirit. You didn't get there on your own. You've been called. Then it says you've been, because you were chosen and because you were called, you've been given right standing. That's friendship. Let me ask you a question. I just, why, why is it so hard? And I'm asking this question because I used to struggle with this. Why is it so hard to see ourselves as friends of God? Why is it so hard to settle into that invitation? Why is it so hard to relate to God like a friend instead of a master? What's that thing that's keeping us from relating to God as a friend? Because the scriptures don't lie. You can go to any translation you want to find. It all, they all say friend. Look the word up. It means friend. <laughs> Why do we have an issue being in a friendship with the creator of the universe? That's right standing. That's the tipping point. If God's accepted you as a friend, then we're going to have to accept him as a friend. I'm trying, I'm trying to get the point across best I can. I, just, I know this much for me. Everything changed when I changed my attitude towards God. When I went from a pauper to a son, everything changed. When my attitude changed, the relationship changed. Ah, come on, it's like your kids. When your kids got an attitude, y'all ain't relating very well, are you? No, you want to knock the teeth out of their mouth. Coming around here with an attitude. But let them change their attitude, and what you'll do, you'll pull out your wallet, you'll take them to McDonald's, you'll do anything for them when their attitude's right, right? So what's stopping you from changing your attitude towards God? But it gets even better than that. So he chose you, then he called you, the Holy Spirit drew you in, then he puts you in a proper place with him, that you're not out there, you're here. And then watch what he does. He goes even a step further. So some of you are struggling with the friendship thing. You might really have an issue with the glory thing. Because mm. he calls you into friendship. Watch the end of that verse. And having given them right standing slash friendship, he gave them his glory. Ruh -roh. What does that mean? That means that God's going to begin to honor you. God's going to begin to shine some light on you. God's going to begin to give you some attention with other people. You get to share in his glory. He'll bring honor. He'll light your life up. Where people used to never notice you, now they'll notice you all of a sudden. Why? Because there's a glory on you. Why? Because I know who I am in Christ. I know where I stand. I'm not wavering anymore. I'm not wondering anymore. I know where I stand. No matter what comes against me, no matter where it comes from, I know where I stand. God goes, that's what I want to duplicate. That's what I want to draw attention to. 
let me light them up. And you don't have to change your hairstyle. You don't have to buy new clothes. You'll look fresh and new in your old clothes. And then it says, glory also means that he'll elevate you. I think it's a beautiful thing when somebody doesn't have to elevate themselves, but God elevates them. Especially in a world where everybody wants to elevate themselves. One of the greatest turnoffs in the world is when somebody tries to elevate themselves to me. I'm going, bro, you're trying too hard. Like, it's going to take a lot to impress me. I know God. <laughs> I mean, you're cool. <laughs> So remember who chose who, number three. <laughs> nothing can change his love. Say that word with me. Say nothing. nothing. Oh, boy. So we get our perspective right. We know where we stand. Remember who chose who. Now we got to get this part. We got to get a revelation that nothing can change his love for me. You see, there seems to be three things in these verses that show me that there are, there are some things at war against our connection with God's love. Paul seems to describe three separate things that are at war with our connection with God's love. A, or number one, is foes. You can spell it Cajun if you want to. It's just an X at the end. But it don't mean the same thing. Foes. Romans 8.31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Have you ever stopped to unpack that, that phrase, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Because some of us quote it very flippantly. Well, God's for me. Who can be against me? But you don't really understand what that means. What, what Paul is saying, and then when he's asking that question, he's asking it this way. Is there anyone who can stand against the one who is for you? Is there an enemy strong enough to defeat the love that I have for you? Is there anyone strong enough to change my mind about how I feel for you? That's how the question's really being intended. Is there anyone? Anyone? That can come against me this way? Is there any enemy that God can't plow over? So we may have foes, but we have God Almighty. I'm sorry if somebody lied to you and they told you when you got saved that all your foes went away. Let me correct their theology. When you got saved, you inherited a bunch of foes. <laughs> so there's... There's principalities of darkness, there's spirits, there's even people influenced by spirits that are coming against you, and they're trying to disconnect you from God's love. Number two is accusers.
If you have an accuser, raise your hand. If you have an accuser. Okay. <laughs> that was just a quick test. Give me a quick information. Let's try that again. Every one of you has an accuser. So if you have an accuser, raise your hand. Every one of us has an accuser. Satan is always trying to accuse you. Always bringing accusations against you. He's bringing them to you. He's accusing you to your face. And then he's got to go before God and accuse you to try to get that to stick. So you've got accusers who are trying to come against you. Look at what Romans verse 8, 33, and 34 says. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Did you catch the attitude in that verse, in that sentence, in that question? Who, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Now, some of you need to memorize that so that tomorrow or this afternoon, when the enemy comes to accuse you, you say, bro, you can't do that. I've been chosen to be God's own. How dare you come in here and accuse me? But sometimes we entertain the accusations too long. And then it wears you down. You ever see, you ever watch, like, are any of you guys like Dateline and 2020 people on a Friday night? Or Saturday night, they got more of them, right? Yeah. Anybody? We're a rare breed. Has anybody ever seen one of those shows? Okay, all right, all right, good. Ask a better question, Pastor. Have you ever seen the ones where they, they bring the, the, the person that's being accused into the, the uh, what, what's the room called? Interrogation room, right? And then they, they, they keep them in there for hours and hours trying to make them crack, right? And they'll wear them down. And how many people now are they realizing were actually innocent, but because they were basically tortured in that, in that situation, confess to something that they really didn't do. You see? How long are you going to sit in the interrogation room with the enemy trying to convince you that you're not who you are? He's not the police, so you don't have to stay. You can get up and walk out, and if he tells you something, you say, I don't belong to you, bruh. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And watch this, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, watch this, pleading for us. So if you don't stay in the interrogation room with Satan, he's now got to go to the high court to bring his accusations against you. Let me tell you what's happening in the high court. God's on his throne, and Jesus is on a throne at his right hand. And Satan walks in with the audacity to accuse you of something that Jesus already knows his blood took care of. So he walks in with his accusations, and Jesus goes, nope, already been dealt with. Already been dealt with. He actually uses the word justified. 
They've already been justified. My blood has already cleansed them. It's still there today when they mess up today. It's there to cleanse them. They're justified. Best definition of justified I've ever heard. Just as if I've done nothing wrong. Justified. How does God see me? Just as if I've done nothing wrong. So Jesus is sitting next to the Father pleading for you. I hope this image burns into your mind and into your heart that Jesus is pleading for you. So you may have accusers, but you've been justified, just as if you've done nothing wrong. And then we have separators. Things that are trying to separate us from the love of God. Verse 35, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Listen to this next, this next part. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? If we're having all those things in our life, does that mean that God doesn't love us anymore? That's the question Paul's asking because he makes the statement, who, or can any, or he asks the question, who can ever separate us from Christ's love? Then he answers it. Does it mean that he doesn't love us if we have trouble? So why is it that when we have trouble, we start to think that God doesn't love us? Rut row, Scooby. When things aren't going our way, when all hell's breaking loose against us, why is it that the automatic response that seems to bubble up inside of us is, well, there must be something wrong. I must have done something wrong. God don't love me. Wait, what? What does your trouble have to do with God's love? Because the last time I checked, he demonstrated it when you were at your worst. And you're not there anymore. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble? Don't think that if Satan couldn't twist up Adam and Eve in the garden, that he can't try to twist you up too. Don't think that he took the beautiful thing of the garden and convinced Adam and Eve to eat from what they weren't supposed to eat from. Don't think that you're in some high position that he can't twist you up. Right? Don't think that he can't twist you up. You see, he was slick. He convinced Eve and Adam that they, were, they had more authority than they had. He convinced them that they had a higher position than they really had. And he convinced them that they could make their own decision about the fruit. So they took from the fruit despite what God had already said about it. He twisted it. Don't think that he can't twist it in you. That's the reason the church is, is almost dead today. The church is like powerless it seems at times because we don't even know who we are. 
We've been twisted to think, well, we just go up in a building on Sundays and have these incredible services and then go back to living like the world and being who we are on Monday through Saturday and, and, and just, oh, well, I just have to live defeated till Christ comes back. Maybe you're not mad at going to work tomorrow. Maybe you're just mad at wrestling with the devil next week. So there's some separators trying to separate us. Let me give them to you. There's 15 of them in these verses. I'm sure there's more, but I think all of them could find their way into the context of these 15. Here's some separators. Number one, trouble. Let me prophesy over you. You're going to have trouble in the future. You receive that? (laughs) Trouble. Trouble is always trying to separate you from God's love. Calamity. You know what calamity is? Sudden damage. I hate the sudden things. I hate the things I couldn't see coming. Right? I hate the sudden things. But even those things cannot separate me from God's love. Persecution. When people treat me different because I follow Jesus now. Or people treat me different because I go to church on Sundays. Or people treat me different because I quit drinking and smoking and cussing and running the bars and the women. Persecuted. Persecuted because I don't follow the world's pattern anymore. Persecuted because I changed my schedule to serve God instead of serving myself. Persecuted. Hunger. This is This is me. I struggle with some hangry. I ain't going to lie to you. Like, I turn into a whole different person when I get hungry. Right, Cheryl? She'll testify. She'll start praying over me. And if that don't work, she'll hit me with something. Hunger cannot separate you from the love of God. Destitute. This is, this is to be without basic needs. Basic needs, the elementary things. Anybody like me, like when you run out of the basic things at home or in your shop or your tools, then they like frustrate you. Like, this is the basics. Like, how do you run out of toilet paper? Anybody know what I'm saying? Like everybody. Anyway. Destitute cannot separate you from God's love. Danger cannot separate you from God. You know what that means? That means when you watch too much Fox News. And you can't sleep at night because you're thinking the world's coming to an end. Danger, 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 Will Robinson, danger. And danger is separating you from, the God, from God's love. Got you wanting to provide for yourself all of a sudden. Well, Tucker said, <laughs> the problem, listening to what Tucker said. Threats of death, number seven. Threats of death. Number eight, death nor life. <laughs> that's, that's the fear of dying or the fear of continuing to live. You know, there's a fear that creeps up on me for my great-grandkids and my grandkids. In the world that we live in today, there's a fear that's always trying to crawl up my back and go, man, what are they going to have to go through? You know what that fear is trying to do? 
It's trying to separate me from God's love. If God's taking care of me and he don't return before my great-grandkids hit the planet, he's going to take care of them too. Angels nor demons can separate me. Fears cannot separate me. Worries, they're all at war against you. Worries. Powers of hell, powers in the sky, power in the earth. This is all in Romans. Anything in creation cannot separate you from God's love. So, if you know that you, at times, vacillate between the two, like at times you feel like God really loves you, but then at other times you feel like God's far, far, far away from you and you're not sure if he loves you. If you're still vacillating between those two, you need to stop. Here's your responsibility. You need to stop and ask the Holy Spirit to show you why. Why? Why? The next time you feel like God doesn't love you, you you need to have enough self-awareness to go, hang on a second. God, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel right now that you don't love me? And then sit and let the Holy Spirit unpack that for you. And he'll begin to show you some, some issues inside or some things or a belief system or a stronghold or something that needs to be removed. And while he's there, he'll go ahead and remove it. We have a responsibility. If I'm constantly, come on, there's got to be somebody in the building today that constantly goes back and forth with God's love. Like one day he's on, the next day he's off. I don't know, maybe it's something I'm doing wrong. Maybe I was just born with the wrong last name. But for some reason, this, this love of God thing just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. Why? Is my perspective not clear? Do I not know where I stand with God? Do I believe, number two, that I went after him and he just accepted me, or do I believe that he came after me and called me to himself? Because there's a big difference between the two. Because, see, if I pursue God and find God on my own, then I can walk away anytime I want to because it was all me. But it feels totally different when he came after me and he called me and he, he did things to bring me to himself. It feels totally different. Maybe it's something simple like worries, fears, hunger. Like that's a real demon, y'all. I ain't lying to you. We laughing, but like I fight that thing sometimes. <laughs> like I turn into this different person. I don't want to be that person. Anyway, pray for me. I just need to eat regularly. So in the middle of all this, I want to show you something in chapter 8. Paul references Psalms 44. God, I pray this gets across. Psalm, Paul references Psalms 44, 17 to 22. 
he uses this phrase. He says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. That references back to Psalms 44. In Psalms 44, the, 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 the men of Korah wrote Psalms 44. Now, pay attention. I'm going to get technical with you for just a minute. The men of Korah wrote Psalms 44. The men of Korah were Levite priests who were over worship. They were over the, the worship at the temple. So they were responsible for worship at the temple. The men of Korah, they wrote Psalms 44. In Psalms 44, the first time you read it, you might think that they're complaining to God about all the trouble that they're going through. But if you'll press in and read it a little bit deeper, you'll start to realize that they're not complaining to God about their trouble. They're reminding God that they're going through trouble, but they've not lost their purpose. They're going through trouble, but I haven't disconnected from your love. God, I'm going through some junk right now, but me and you are still good, and I'm aware of that. They're reminding God. Why? Because there was, a, there was a, an understanding. There was like this, this honor thing on, on the early believers that, that I might suffer, and I might go through some hard times, but it's an honorable thing that even though I'm going through these hard things, that I'm hanging on to God. That I'm, I'm still connected to his love. I haven't let go. What they were saying was that, God, we're going through some stuff, but we're not letting go. There needs to be something inside of us, a resilience that rises up that says, no matter what comes my way, I'm standing on the truth that God loves me. He loves me. I am loved and I am in right standing with me and with him. And if I mess up, he's going to tell me. And we'll correct it and he'll help me correct it. But I'm good. My feet are planted in God's love. And it'll change your prayer life. Instead of complaining to God, you'll be like, Lord, that person's talking about me. Those people did this to me. They did this. But let me tell you something, God, I'm, I know I'm still loved. I'm still standing right here where I belong. I'm not going to let that separate me from you. There has to be a, a holy refusal to be separated from God's love anymore. Now watch this. When the enemy comes at you this afternoon or tomorrow, and he hits you with a good shot, and you get knocked back a little bit, you got your notes, don't you? Grab your notes, then grab your Bible, and go to Romans, and remind yourself, if he's for me, who can stand against me? Come on. You don't have to wait till next Sunday. <laughs> Sometimes we have trouble, watch this, simply because we belong to God. <laughs> Sometimes you can make all the right decisions and still end up in trouble. And it's just simply because you belong to God. Congratulations. That's a good gift that comes with being in a relationship with God. <laughs> you get blamed for stuff you never did. So you may have troubles, but you're still loved. Last verse. Come on, Gerald. Last verse. Romans 8, 37. Listen to this. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours 
through Christ. Here it is. Who loved us. He's already loved us. He expressed the fullness of his love on the cross. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. The world and Satan are in trouble the day we learn to live out of God's love. The day we learn to live from right standing, proper position. Knowing that there's things always trying to separate us from God's love. You ever wonder why the enemy is always trying to separate you from God's love? Because when you lose God's love, you lose everything. You lose hope. You lose faith. You lose strength. You lose all those things when you start to buy into the lie that you're not worthy of God's love. So where are you at today? You personally. I don't want you thinking about the person next to you or somebody else who's not here. Where are you at today? Are you in right standing with God? Are you still wondering? I just don't know. I just don't know. Listen, Satan will try to take you all the way back to the day you gave your life to Christ. If you gave your life to Christ, you gave your life to Christ. He'll try to take you all the way back to that. Well, you didn't really mean it. Come on, bruh. How long are you going to listen to that garbage? Where do you stand today? Been through some trouble lately? Been struggling to realize that no matter my troubles, God still loves me. And that love is powerful, changes me, it renews me, it refreshes me, it fills me. I'm not missing anything. It calms me down. I don't need to be anxious about anything because I'm already loved. I'm not trying to gain something from somebody else because God's given me everything that I need. bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I thank you for your message today. I thank you for your words today. I thank you for inspiring Paul to write what he wrote. And I thank you, Lord, that all of us can build our lives on your word like that. Where we don't have to be people who vacillate, people who waver, we don't have to be a P-Row in the Gulf of Mexico being tossed around. We can be settled. Properly positioned with a clear perspective. This is who I am. I don't need anybody else to define me. This is who I am. God, you define me. Your actions define me. You've already proven to me how much you love me. Yet you continue to do it every day. 
You keep expressing your love towards me. I'm accepted. In fact, I'm chosen. And I'm loved. I've been called by name. I belong to you now. Lord, help us to plant our feet in that position. Help us to plant our feet in all that Christ has done for us. No more wavering. No more wondering. Help us to shut the enemy up the second we recognize he's there speaking. We don't have to stay in the interrogation room. We don't have to take the bombardment of thoughts and lies and have the mind of Christ that's settled in God's love. We can have peace in the middle of our troubles. Peace that passes all understanding in the middle of danger, in the middle of lack, in the middle of anything. Everything we do, everything we say, every action we take, every facial expression we make, every attitude we have comes from this deep wellspring of love that we get to live in. Power us, Lord, by your love. We thank you for today. So no one looking around. If you want to be honest and confess today, I mean, if you've been going back and forth, it seems like a whole lot lately. I see you all over the room, all over the room. Something comes up, something doesn't happen the way it's supposed to, boom. Does God really love me? to Jesus you've never started a relationship with him, you've never accepted what he did on the cross and you want to make that decision today, the Bible calls it being born again if you want to be born again today, you can do that right now, if that's you you sense the spirit of God tugging on your heart or maybe he's moving in you right now and you just feel like I just need to make some kind of a decision, if that's you, would you just raise your hand today. Praise God. Father, we thank you for your word, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Fill us fresh and new with your spirit, overflowing in every area of life. In Jesus' name.